The book of Acts is not everything, a record of everything that happened in the first century church and churches. Uh, but the book of Acts is um, a uh, brief, limited summary of what God wants us to know about what happened in the first century. We know the book of Acts to be a transitional period that would be marked by signs and wonders, where God uh, validates His church, validates the gospel message by sign miracles. And that's what they are, signs. Uh, We made the point last week in Acts chapter 9 that the whole point of these sign miracles was to elevate the message of the gospel. In Acts chapter 9, remember, Peter raised Tabitha or Dorcas, whatever name you want to use of her, from the dead. And so if the miracle is propping up the message of the gospel, and the miracle of raising a woman from the dead props up the gospel, and how great that miracle is, how much greater is the message. And the book of Acts communicates that, that throughout this, it's not about the miracles, it's about the gospel. We have seen from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 9, the beginning of the fulfillment of what Jesus Christ told His disciples to do, to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And what we've seen in the book of Acts is some movement in that. We know that when the persecution arose, the work of God was limited to Jerusalem, and then the believers were scattered uh, throughout Judea and also Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, we find the gospel going northward through Philip and Samaria. Acts chapter 9 is the gospel is moving uh, westward towards the coastal city of Joppa. And as we come now to Acts chapter 10... Uh, The gospel so far, through chapter 1 through chapter 10, uh, apart from when uh, Philip preached to the Ethiopian eunuch, has been limited really to people who are Jews. I would guess the Samaritans were were semi-Jews, you could say. But in Acts chapter 10, now the gospel is being preached to Gentiles. And so we find the expansion of the gospel in Acts chapter 10, not just geographically, but also the expansion of the gospel ethnically, that it would go beyond the Jewish people, it would go to the Gentile world. And uh, that's what we find now. Acts chapter 10 is really one account, but what we find in this chapter, I believe, is, is very helpful to us as we look at the gospel going forward. And so, because of the length of the text, I'm going to do something that I don't typically do. Often I'll read a whole passage, and then I'll preach on that passage. This time we're going to read a portion of Scripture, then I'll give some thoughts about what we just read, and then continue reading and so on throughout the rest of the chapter, because it's difficult really to break, uh, to break this chapter into sections, because it's one account of the meeting between Peter and Cornelius. And it goes throughout the entirety chapter, and we're going to end in Acts chapter 11 and verse 1. All right? And so, uh, let's uh, begin reading here in Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 1. The Bible says here, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. The name Cornelius indicates to us that this is not a typical Jew. Uh, This is a Gentile man. The Bible says that, notice, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man, and one that feared God with all of his house, 
which gave alms, much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming, in him, uh, coming to him, into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all of these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Now let's stop here and consider as we look at our text the, the, the position of this man Cornelius or the facts about this man. Because as we come to this passage, we read right off the bat in verse 2 that this is a devout man. The Bible says, one that feared God with all of his house, we see him, he gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Now as we look at this word devout, we know that the idea of devout, we might think that Cornelius at this point is a man who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe that to be so. The reason why I say that is that is because the word devout is not referred to, to Christians. If you go back with me to Acts chapter 2, go back with me Acts chapter 2. We know that in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God comes down and uh, men who were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues and people that heard those utterances heard in their own languages what was happening at the Feast of Pentecost. Jews that lived around the world who uh, spoke different languages would come back to Jerusalem uh, to observe uh, the day of Pentecost. And on this particular day, understand the Jews that are present in uh, Jerusalem, many of them live outside of Jerusalem. They're throughout the world. And the Bible tells us what was going on in the city. The Bible says in verse 5 of Acts chapter 2, notice with me, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, notice, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, uh, are not all these which spake Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then he lists the different tongues. And the Bible says we know that Peter would go on and he would go on to preach Jesus Christ. But the point I'm making here is in Acts chapter 2, the Jews who were scattered from every nation come back to Jerusalem. The Bible says they were devout Jews. Were they saved? No. They were devout though. Uh, the word devout, when we think about, the, the word devout means someone who is reverent, someone who is pious, or we could say someone who is faithful to their duty, to particularly their religious duty. These Jews come back at Pentecost. That means they're devout. They are fulfilling their duty as Jews to come back to this Feast of Pentecost, and today is the day of Pentecost. And so a, divide, a devout person is usually someone who is devoted to religion. 
In other words, we could say that a devout person is a religious person, a very religious person. It is someone who is sincere and earnest. Now go back to Acts chapter 10. The reason why I say that is because it not just applies to religion, it really applies to the dedication, the earnestness, and the sincerity of someone's devotion to hear religion, but also it could be something else. Notice in our own text in Acts chapter 10, and notice verse 7, the Bible says, When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. So notice here, the idea of devout soldier is that the soldier that was in the house of Cornelius was a faithful soldier. He was earnest. He was sincere as a soldier. So it, just, it doesn't just apply to one's religion. It could apply to someone simply, his devotion, his sincerity, and his faithfulness. And so, certainly Cornelius, when he is going to send out his devout soldier, he, I believe, is sending the best he's got. The most faithful, the most trustworthy, the most sincere of all of his soldiers, he is sending him out. The reason why I say that is because here we find... That God is moving in the life of Cornelius. He is a devout man. He does fear God. He gives alms. And he prayed to God always. But yet, when uh, the Lord speaks to Cornelius, notice what he tells him in verse 6. Go to Peter, verse 5. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. So Cornelius is a very religious man. He's devout. He's sincere. He's earnest. He fears God. But there's something missing in his life. And so God, again, supernaturally moves in his life and send men because you need to hear something that you haven't heard yet. Peter needs to communicate to you something that you need to do, Cornelius, that is missing in your life. And so we find here that Cornelius sends his soldier, two servants. Verse 8, And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Now the reason why I make this point is, is that as we think about our world, I would say that our world is a very religious world. And as we think throughout the world, I think that whether whatever label you want to put on a person's religion, I believe that there are many people who are sincere. I believe throughout the world there are many people who are devoted to their God, whatever God they think they are serving. I believe they're sincere, they're devoted, they're faithful. But often what we find is that there is something missing in religion. And here Cornelius is a sincere man but God speaks to him and he says, you need to hear something that you need to do that you haven't done yet. As we continue reading here, we see first of all the position of Cornelius or the man's religion or who he was. But then now we move. Now the story goes along. We, we go from a scene between Cornelius and then Peter. Go back to Cornelius and then Peter. And then they join together. And now we move on to Peter. And notice what the Bible says in verse 9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour and he became very hungry and would have eaten but while they made ready he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth 
wherein all, were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Notice verse 14. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, let's just pause here. What is Peter referring to? Well, there were, in the Jewish world, uh, there were dietary restrictions. And evidently here in this vision, in what Peter saw, the Lord speaks and he says, Peter, uh, in this vision, uh, kill and eat. And Peter says, well, wait, no, that, that's the common meat or unclean meat. And I'm not supposed to eat that. I've, as a matter of fact, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, we would say here, we, we often people, they try to say, oh, well, this means this and this. You know, the text tells us what this all means. Notice, if we keep reading in verse 15, And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Now, we're going to pause here. The explanation is going to happen in the text a little later. Obviously, at this point, Peter doesn't know what this all means, but he is about to know in just a moment. But the dream is about this. Peter, as a Jew... Because of his Jewish ethnicity and religion, being a devout Jew, he would not touch or eat or kill certain meats. Why? Because they were restricted under the Old Testament law. And here, this, in this dream, the Lord basically tells Peter, kill and eat, do something that under the Old Testament religion of the Jews, you're not supposed to do. Now, let's keep reading. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So it was repeated. Verse 17, Now while Peter doubted in himself that this vision which he had seen should mean, so notice he doesn't know what it means yet. God has been showing him this vision or this dream, and the Bible tells us he does not know what it means. Again, it was about dinner, he was about to eat, so, so certainly he is hungry, and then he goes in the trance, and God speaks to him, gives this vision, and he doesn't know what it means that, Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, lodged there. And so notice what happens here. As uh, Peter is on the roof, he's in the trance, he has this vision, it's repeated here, the Bible says three times, and just it would happen at that time that the servants of Cornelius and the soldier of Cornelius arrived at the house where Peter was lodging. Coincidence? No, the Lord. Verse 19, let's keep reading. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And so, here's what's about to happen. Something is going to happen. You're going to follow them, Peter. Now, do what you're told to do. Now, it's interesting. Cornelius was said, do that. Do it. And he did it. And now the Lord comes to Peter, and he says, By the Spirit, the Bible says, The Spirit said unto him, Do what they send you to do. Verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause whereof ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. 
And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Now, the word worship Peter here indicates to us that Cornelius has it wrong. He is worshiping a man. Now, was Cornelius a devoted man? Yes. But again, remember, God speaks to him. He doesn't know what that means, but he knows that there is a message for him. He doesn't know what the message is yet. So he sees the messenger and he bows before him. Why? Because that's the message that God said was going to come. And so he, he senses a, something spiritual going on. Remember, he loves God. He fears God. There's a lack of knowledge, so he worships Peter in verse 26. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. So Peter, I'm a messenger of God, yes, but I'm just a man. I don't need to be worshipped. Now let's keep reading. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. So evidently he did not listen to his words, so Peter had to physically pick him up and basically say, Stop that. I myself also am a man. And he talked with them, he, he went in, and found many that were come together. So here, you, you see here, Cornelius gets a message from God, says, go and send for Peter, he's going to tell you what you need to do. On the same time, uh, God is working in Peter, and, and it's about beasts that he's supposed to eat, kill and eat, and they're unclean, and he says, a Jew, I'm not supposed to do that. And at the very time the men of Cornelius arrive at Peter, they stay overnight for one night, they go the next day, they go. And when Peter arrives, he finds that Cornelius has gathered a bunch of people in the house. It's not just Cornelius and his household, there's a bunch of other people that are in the house gathered together. Many, the Bible says, verse 27, many that were come together, verse 28. And he said unto them, Ye know how that... It is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Do you get now the reason for the vision? In other words, Peter arrives at the house and he finds that this house is dominated by Gentile people. Uh, the Bible said earlier when he left the house of Joppa, he went with his kinsmen, his brethren, that was fellow Jew who were believers. And so they go over to Cornelius' house, and not, not only do they see Cornelius, but they see many people who are all Gentiles, they're all gathered together waiting for this messenger to come, and Peter says, now I know why God gave me that vision. God gave me that vision because he was showing me that something that the, the Jew traditionally does not do I'm going to do. What was that? Well, here, he explains it. It is not lawful for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. That means to be hosted by a Gentile people. But he says, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, did Jesus Christ already communicate that? Going into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature? That was already communicated. But Peter needed some more help to look beyond, if you would, the, 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 the Jewish culture. Uh, and so God gave, a, if you would, a precept or a principle for Peter that if he's going to serve God, he's going to have to preach the gospel to those he has deemed common and unclean, the Gentiles. Verse 29, Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore, for what intent ye have sent for me? And here is where we get some clarity in this passage. And Cornelius said, 
For days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call thither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done, that thou art come. Now therefore we are all here present before God, to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. So Cornelius has gathered, it's not just him, he's gathered a bunch of people. All Gentile, by the end of the nation you know that, they're all Gentiles. And basically they're all sitting there. Peter comes in and says, we're ready to hear from God. Whatever you say, as God's messenger, we want to hear. So the people here have been prepared. Notice, I would imagine that Cornelius being a devout man, he probably called uh, those who were, uh, you know, Gentiles, but perhaps those who were interested in, in spiritual things or who were also devoted men who uh, perhaps worshipped some higher power or God or, or even some of them may have heard about the Jehovah God of the Old Testament. They thought to themselves, well, that seems to be the true God. And so, but yet there, there's something missing because they're all gathered. They're present before God. Um, it's interesting that Cornelius said here that we are all here present before God. God wants to speak to us and we're ready to hear from Him. And He says, we're here to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. God has a message and God sends His message through Peter. And they recognize that. Now why do I say earlier that Cornelius was a devoted man, very religious, very sincere, but yet not saved? Because of what Peter is going to preach on. Notice verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So far, with respect to Cornelius, there's just been a devotion to God. Uh, most Jews, again in Acts chapter 2, who came on the day of Pentecost, were devoted. They, they, they worshipped the God of the Bible. They, they were devoted to God. They feared God. But what was missing in their life, Jesus was missing in their lives. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached Jesus Christ and thousands of Jews were saved. And here now we don't have a, a public scene. We have really a private scene. It is in the privacy of Cornelius' home. But there's a group of Gentiles here. And Peter doesn't uh, uh, beat around the bush. He says, look, the message that we have that was preached first in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. He says here that I perceive God is not a respecter of person. That this message is not for a limited group of people. But this message is for all people. Every nation. And he says in verse 36, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Notice, he is Lord of all. Verse 37, That word, I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were possessed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And so here, here's uh, the wonderful thing. On the day of Pentecost, they received a message. What was that message that was given to those who were Jews there in Jerusalem? Was uh, Notice was that uh, uh, they preached peace by Jesus Christ. Peace by Jesus Christ. There's two things we find here. Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He says later, this is how he ends this message. Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Remission of sins is how we have peace with God. Now, the message of the gospel, and I know we just went through the Christmas season here, but the message of the gospel is a message of peace. The angels proclaim to the shepherd the, the glad tidings of great joy, which is what? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. If you turn with me to uh, the uh, book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, we read in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse uh, 13, we read a little bit about the message of the gospel, this message of peace that we preached here, that Peter is coming here to this group of Gentiles, and he says, peace by Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, notice verse 13, the Bible says, but now... In Christ Jesus, ye who, was, who, were, who sometimes were uh, far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He, who is that referring to? To Christ. He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached, here it is, peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now we know in Ephesians here, these were a Gentile people, and he says that this message of peace that was given here uh, to, those, uh, to those who were in the church there in Acts chapter 2, uh, that gospel went on and it was preached to them. That was the message of peace. In Romans chapter 3 verse 17, it is interesting that he concludes in chapter 3 verse 9, we have, both proved, uh, we have before proved that both Jews and Gentiles they are all under sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He would say later in Romans chapter 3 verse 17, He says, The way of peace have they not known. Who? Both Jews and Gentiles. 
But yet we reach Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and the Bible says, Being justified by faith, we have peace with God, here it is, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would write later in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, he said, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Peace. Ephesians describes the enmity between God and man. Now I want you to think here because who is Peter speaking to? He's speaking to Cornelius. Cornelius who is a devout man, who is a religious man, who gives alms, who the entire community recognizes. And if, if the community would have an assessment of Cornelius, uh, the community would probably say something like this. If anybody is going to go to heaven, if anybody's going to have eternal life, it's going to be Cornelius. Look at his life. Look at his dedication. Look how he gives himself over to religion. And yet when Peter comes, he says, the message I have for you, Cornelius, is how you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The message that I come to you to preach, Cornelius, is that whosoever believeth in Him will receive the remission of sins. You see, this message is the same message we have today. We are dealing primarily with people all around us who are very religious. Often they are sincere, they are devoted, they are very religious, but the truth is they do not have peace with God. And I'm not doubting people's sincerity. I'm not doubting the religion or their earnestness or their faithfulness. I'm just saying that there's something missing. That peace with God is not obtained through someone's merit or someone's performance or someone's religion or devotion to God. That peace with God is obtained through the remission of sin which is brought about by belief in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2 he explains for us, I want to read that portion again because he mentions peace three times in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says this again in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And I want us to put ourselves in Acts chapter 10 as we think about this passage, that Cornelius was very devoted. He even prayed to God. He was a, a man who was earnest and sincere, but yet he did not recognize or did not realize, and to no fault of, of his own, but he did not realize that he was Far off from God. I remember growing up, I, I went to church because my parents made me. I memorized scriptural verses. We had family devotions. I prayed, memorized Bible verses and did all those things. But none of those things made me a Christian. I may have been devoted. I may have been intense about those things. But none of those things made me a Christian. Uh, and the truth is, I had to recognize that I was far removed from God. And that there was really no amount of religion that could wipe away my sin. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 11, For He, Christ, is our peace. Notice, who hath made both one. Who, the, who is the both? Well, in this case, it's both God and man. Right? They're, they're removed far from each other. On the, on the one hand, you have, a, you have a holy God. And on the other hand, you have a, a man who, yes, may even be religious, but the truth is there, there is sin in his life. 
that he cannot wipe away. He cannot take a, a sponge and, and try to erase all the sin and the, the enmity that he has with God in his life. There's nothing that he can do to erase that. And Jesus Christ came and he was preached and he made both God, the holy God, and, and sinful men. He, he made both one. He unified the two. The Bible says He hath broken down the, the middle wall of partition. And so the idea of a middle wall of partition is there's God on this side and, and man on this side and the middle wall of partition as, as hard as man can try to get to God and to be reconciled to God and to even be dedicated to God. There is still a middle wall of partition between him and God that they cannot be reconciled to God until this middle wall of partition is broken down. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that's exactly what he did. He broke down the middle wall of partition between us. Notice verse 15. He goes on to say, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. You see that? What brought about the middle wall of partition? The enmity. When man sinned, and when man was born in sin, the middle wall of partition was raised between God and man. And man, as he can even run headlong towards God, but every time he hits the wall again and again and again because the wall is not broken down. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, notice he abolished in his flesh by his death the enmity that was brought about by our sin between God and man. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. And so man... Surely recognizes that he is guilty before God. Why? Because the law has been spoken and we recognize according to Romans chapter 3 that every mouth is stopped and that all the world has become guilty before God. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So you see when the middle wall of partition was broken down, when the enmity was taken down, what was it to accomplish? To bring peace between God and man. You know that religion cannot do that? Religion cannot wipe away your sin. Religion does not remove the enmity. No matter how sincere you may be, no matter how devoted you may be, it cannot remove the enmity. The only one who removes the enmity is Jesus Christ. Verse 16, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through Him, that is Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. The communication, and I've mentioned this many times, but the idea of the middle war partition is seen and demonstrated for us in the tabernacle. When you had the tabernacle, you had the outer court. And then you had the tabernacle where you would come into the holy place and... In the holy place, the priests would daily perform their service. But then there was a, if you would, a, a middle wall of partition. There was a, a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And nobody could enter into the holy of holies. Nobody was allowed to. As a matter of fact, the only person that was allowed to go into the holy of holies was the high priest. He could only do that once a year. 
And before he entered, he had to offer a sacrifice as an atonement for the sin of the people and for his own sin. He had to bring about the blood from cutting the throat of the, uh, of the uh, lamb, and he had to pour that, and he had to sprinkle the blood on his vesture. And then only when the blood was sprinkled on his vesture could he enter, uh, unworthy, but yet the blood communicated that he could come based upon innocent blood into the presence of God. And then he would come and he would uh, sprinkle that uh, blood on the mercy seat. And, and now we find here that the enmity between God and man is represented by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so uh, that the, the, the middle wall of partition that veil that separates man from God from being in fellowship with God has been broken down. Man is only reconciled to God through Christ who's broken down the middle wall of partition and who's slain the enmity between God and man. You see, do you know what the cross was about? The cross, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and when His arms were Stretch open and when his hands and his feet were pierced. He did that. He died for our sins. Uh, the Bible makes it uh, very clear in, um, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God sent Jesus Christ His Son to die to pay for our sin debt and so that we could be at peace with God. If you go back with me to Acts chapter 10, with those things in mind, Peter here is preaching to a group of people who are Gentiles and notice Peter, what he does here, he, he summarizes the message in verse 36. He says that the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all, that word. And then Peter is going to go through a history and he says, uh, you remember uh, that man that was uh, preached uh, after the baptism of, of John preached. Jesus Christ was baptized. You remember what happened at the baptism? The voice of God came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power that was seen at the baptism, who went about doing good and healing all manner, uh, all that were oppressed uh, of the devil, for God was with him. And by the way, Cornelius and the people in his house would have been familiar with that. Everybody's heard about Jesus Christ. Uh, they've heard about his fame. And he says, you, you've certainly heard that he has done miracles and there were signs and wonders performed by him. Notice verse 39. And we are witnesses of all of these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they slew and hanged on a tree. And so you, you think about all the wonderful things that Jesus did. Peter said he did all those things were witnesses. The fame went about. Everybody knew about it. But yet what was the end of Christ? He, he was hung on a tree. And so Cornelius at the moment would think, well, wait a minute. If he did all those wonderful things and he, if he was approved of God and there was the sign and the miracles to manifest, well, why was he crucified? The Bible says, and God, him, verse 40, God raised up the third day and showed him openly. The miracle of the resurrection. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with Him after He rose from the dead. Cornelius being a, a, a Roman, a, a soldier, you, you might think that perhaps you remember what the trend was. Well, we're going to say that His body was stolen by the disciples. 
So perhaps Cornelius being familiar with the other soldiers, that was what was going on about Jesus Christ. And here Peter says, no, he's been raised from the dead and we saw him. Uh, we, we were there. Verse 42, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead and to him gave all the prophets witness. And so Peter finally says, he says, you know all the things that we see and we read about Jesus Christ in this life and that we are all witnesses of? You know what that's fulfillment of? All what the prophets have said concerning him. It's not something new. It's something that was to be expected. Notice that through his name, whose name? The name of Jesus. Whosoever believeth in him, that's who Jesus, shall receive remission of sins. Now, what did they make with that decision? Well, we read verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. So the circumcision was Jews who were saved, who were, remember, they accompanied Peter to the house of Cornelius. They were astonished. Why? Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. So basically, it's, it's, it's on a smaller scale what happened at Pentecost. They saw the Holy Ghost fall down upon them. Verse 46, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now, this is the important part in chapter 11, verse 1. And the apostles and brethren which were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also had, what? Received the word of of God. Do you see what the, the other believer, Jewish believers in Judea did not hear? Did not hear the Holy Ghost fell upon them. They heard they received the Word of God. You know why the Holy Ghost came down? Because they received the Word of God. Peter had just said, Whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sin. And as soon as they received remission of sin when they believed, when they received the Word, it's the exact same word used in Acts chapter 2. You remember? Verse 42. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The Gentiles that were gathered in the house of Cornelius on that day received, believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were saved. And here, just as an evidence, again, why is this here for us? Because the gospel is moving from being primarily the gospel being preached by the Jews to the Jews, to now the gospel being preached by the Jews to the Gentiles. And so just for that transition, God is going to tell us, I am all for this. Why? Because when the day of Pentecost happens, the Jews, who are believers in Christ, were filled with the Holy Ghost, and something supernatural happened. And God said, that's my people. You see that supernatural thing? And here, the first time the gospel was preached to the Gentiles, the group of, of those who were there gathered when they believed, there's a, a small little, if you would, Pentecostal moment that took place. Not I should say Pentecostal moment. Pentecost moment that took place in the house of Cornelius. Why? Because they received the word of God. We could read on and on. We're going to see there's going to be some conflict with Peter after this. Why? Because of the Gentiles. That was not something the Jew was supposed to do. And we'll talk about that. But the point that I'm making, the emphasis here, is that this account is given for us to see that the gospel goes beyond 
from being preached to the Jew, it goes to the Gentiles. But we also find here a very religious man who has something missing. He's devoted, he is sincere, he is faithful, he is good. But he's not saved. And this man was only saved, as devoted as he would be, he was not at peace with God. The only way that any man or woman can be at peace with God is through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And we have to believe on His name. Believe what? That He took your sin upon Himself and that when He died on the cross, your sins were hanging there in His body. And the wrath of God was poured upon Jesus Christ. The wrath was poured upon what? My sin and your sin. And until you believe that, you may be very religious, but you're still at enmity with God. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And oh, how those words are true.